Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Lisa Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. Would you remain standing as we honor God and His Word and the incredible, powerful name of Jesus. And you will see it on the screen behind me, or there's a Bible in the seat back pocket in front of you. It's Jeremiah chapter 23, a little from the Old Testament this morning. Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You've scattered my flock, and you've driven them away. And you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declare the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, speaking of Jesus, Judah will be saved, and all Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Would you pray with me? Oh, the name of Jesus, we sing about you, we talk about you, the power that's found in your name. And Lord, I pray that we would not get used to the powerful name of Jesus and let it grow contempt in our heart as it has done in our culture, some even using your name in a derogatory sense. But I pray that when we say the name of Jesus, We would sense the flow of your power and strength. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So thank you, God. And I pray that you as the righteous one, the shepherd, the chief shepherd, that you'd minister to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, have your, would you have your seat, if you would, and take your Bible out? It's Jeremiah, excuse me, John chapter 18. Got to get on the right page this morning. John chapter 18. Our high school has joined us. Always love having you guys here. John chapter 18, the title of our message today, The Chief Shepherd. The Chief Shepherd. Now, the intention of the high priest, this shepherding role, was to be an intermediary between God and his people. In fact, The high priest was to have the people on his heart. And so he would wear a breastplate. And on this breastplate were were 12 stones. And in those stones were etched the tribes, the names of the tribes of Israel. He he wore an ephod. 
And this ephod, um, it was kind of like a colorful apron, and the ephod was held together at the shoulders with an onk stone, and the stone had inscribed six names of the tribes of Israel here and six names of the tribes of Israel here because the burden of the people was to be on the high priest's shoulders. He was to bear their burden, so much so that once a year, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies And he would make atonement for himself and for the people only once a year as the Lamb of God would be slaughtered for the sake of the people. Unfortunately, as we read in Jeremiah, power and politics would corrupt the intention of the high priesthood. Goes all the way back to Eli's time, if you remember, and how God, well, he exhorted Eli and he challenged Eli so much so he disciplined Eli because he was not fulfilling the heart and the intention of the high priest's ministry. So much so that in Jesus' day, the corruption had grown that no longer was the high priest descended from the line of Aaron like it was supposed to, but it was appointed by the governing authorities. In fact, the more money you had, the more opportunity you had to vie for the position because the high priest had high privileges. Oh, the high priest had high, powerful privileges, positions of power and prominence, prestige, and even the pocket. High position and high privileges because the government had to woo the high priest because the high priest could sway the heart of the people. And so by keeping the high priest's pocket in a great place, oh, he had the heart of the high priest in their pocket, so to say. And in this scene, Jesus arrives, the great high priest. And Jesus comes and he fills the spiritual void that was lacking in the nation. He he came and he gave the truth of God like the high priest was supposed to, to lead the people back to God. And in John chapter 17, he prays the high priest's prayer. He takes the heart and the burden of the people and he prays for their security. Father, keep them. He, He prays for their sanctity. Sanctify them by your truth. He prays there for their unity, that we would be one, just as him and the Father are one. And instead of offering a lamb, he would become the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. No wonder the saints in Revelation chapter 5 proclaim, How great thou art there as we gather together after the rapture. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. As we all proclaim in the, the church and worship and bow down. No wonder Peter would come up with a different name for the high priest. He would no longer call this position of authority of Jesus the great high priest. No, he would call him in 1 Peter chapter 5, the chief shepherd. What a beautiful picture of Jesus for the church. The high priest was a, had become a place of position and prominence and power, but no, Jesus was so much more. He was a chief shepherd, and the Holy Spirit renames the position for the sake of the church to see the character of our chief shepherd, to see the courage of our chief shepherd, to see the conviction of our chief shepherd. Didn't realize those two words together were going to cause me such a problem in front of you all. So let's take a look at the characteristics of our chief shepherd. Chief shepherd, 
now I've proclaimed myself a doomsday. Take a look at John chapter 18, verse 1. I'm going to call him shepherd from now on just to avoid the problem. When Jesus had spoken these words, after he prayed this high priestly prayer, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches, and I want you to underline this, with weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? This is Jesus asking. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I lost not one. Simon Peter, oh, having a sword. He was a fisherman. What was he thinking? Drew it and struck the high priest and cut off his right ear. What a moment. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? If you're taking note, number one, I want us to learn the characteristics of our chief shepherd. He is a leader. He's a leader. The disciples followed him in the garden, and they often met there. Now, Luke tells us in chapter 23, Luke tells us that Jesus would teach all day in the temple during this Passover week, and then he would go and teach all night to the disciples, and the disciples were willing to keep up with this rigorous routine and with this intense schedule because Jesus was a man to follow. He was a man of moral authority. What Jesus said, he did. What he preached, he practiced. He was a good leader. Jesus, one of his characteristics, he is a discipler. He's a discipler, met to his own demise, most people would say. Think of all the investment in Judas. Think of all the investment of Peter, and what did they do? But I need you to know something. Judas is not calling the shots. Jesus is. Jesus often met in the garden. He was preparing Judas to meet them there in the garden. And don't forget, only a couple of chapters ago, Jesus told the disciples there in the upper room, rise, let us go from here. I've got an appointment with Judas. I know that he's going to meet us in the garden of Gethsemane. For three years he invested into Judas. For three years he loved him. For three years, the Bible says they walked hand in hand in the throng. They were good friends. And he discipled him. And though Judas was with him for three years, he didn't know him. He showed up with a garrison. Now this word in Greek, he showed up with four to six hundred men with weapons. Judas... How could you be with Jesus for three years and think you needed 600 men with weapons to get the man of love, the man of sorrows, and the man of grace? You were with him, Judas, but you had no idea who he is. Truly how sad it is for many in the church who know him mentally but don't know him in their heart. It wasn't just Judas. Oh, Jesus discipled Peter. 
And he would look at Peter and he said, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But Peter, he was bound to determine, bound and determined to prove the word of God wrong. And he was going to show all of them, including Jesus, I will stand. And he took a sword and he went to cut off Malchus's head. And Peter's a fisherman, he got his ear. Now just imagine the moment. But Jesus... Jesus would continue and invest, invest into Peter. He would continue to disciple Peter, and he would look at him and shall I not drink the cup? Because he loved him. He hoped. He bared with him. He endured with Peter. That is our shepherd. He, he, he's a protector. He said he would not lose one, and he means what he says. He didn't wait for the 600 men to begin the inquisition as to who is Jesus and who is not Jesus. No, not our shepherd. He came forward and he went on the offensive to his foe. He would not have the disciples troubled. He would not have the disciples harassed. He's a protector. And he would protect them from the wolf that was upon them because he's a chief shepherd. Wow, it just came out really great. Let's hope it comes out that great next time. He's power. So much power in his presence. Think of it for just a moment. So much power in his presence that when Jesus responded, I am. Now, I know in your Bible, if you're looking at the ESV, it says, I am he. That he is not a part of the original. He simply stated, I am. I am. And when he said his name, though Judas was standing along with the other 600 men, they all fell to their knees. No wonder Paul would proclaim in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. He is so powerful that when they fell to the ground and forced worship because he proclaimed his name, he knelt down himself, picked up an ear, and solved Malchus's severe earache. He healed him. That's the power of his name. That's who our chief shepherd is. Why do we worry or fear when there's so much power in his name? He's power. But not just power. No, our leader, our shepherd, he's a doer. He knew God's plan for his life. And Jesus was purposed to fulfill it. He looks at Peter to disciple Peter, but yet to proclaim his truth. Shall I not drink the cup? Because it was Jesus who said, the wise man is the one who not simply hears, but the wise man is the one who hears and does. No wonder the half-brother of Jesus would write, listen carefully, don't simply be hearers, but be doers of the word, because the character of our shepherd, he's a doer. And it takes character to be a shepherd. Number two, if you're taking note, look with me at John chapter 18, verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Could you write it down, number two? Let's take a look at the courage of the chief shepherd. Now remember, Judas, who was with him but didn't know him, shows up with 400 to 600 men arresting Jesus, bounding, binding him, and leading him to his trial. I need to remind you of something. I know this is 600 men, right? 
But I need to remind you of a story in 2 Kings chapter 19. You can read it later for a little bit of homework. It's 2 Kings chapter 19. Hezekiah is in the, in the walls of Jerusalem. And outside the walls of Jerusalem are 185,000 fighting men. 185,000 uh, 185, fighting men. Now just imagine. When Hezekiah woke up the next morning, all 185,000 men were wiped out dead. The Bible says an angel of the Lord. One, an angel of the Lord went through the night and all of them who came against Hezekiah were dead. Do you think 600 is a problem for Jesus? When he wiped out 185,000 in 2 Kings chapter 19, surely this troop is nothing in comparison. And I want to remind you, the only thing that bound Jesus was to fulfill God's word. And the only thing that bound Jesus was his love for you and me to go to the cross. And all alone, after his disciples had forsook him and fled, Jesus courageously goes to the house of Annas. Annas is not even the high priest Annas is more like the godfather of all the high priests. All of his seven sons and sons-in-law, they were the high priest and they, they voted in. But Annas was really leading the whole deal. And he was no more a shepherd than Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who only used their position for financial gain. But the chief shepherd? Oh, the chief shepherd. He had the courage to commit to the will of God despite his situation. He didn't give way to the Roman government nor to the Jews. No, he had the courage to commit to the will of God despite his situation because it takes courage. It takes courage to be a shepherd. Thirdly, I want you to take a look. It's John chapter 18, verse 15. John chapter 18, verse 15, Simon Peter he followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And since the disciple was known to the high priest, and we don't know who that disciple was. Some say it was John, but he was known. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves, and Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Number, two, if, number three, if you'd write this down, I want us to see the convictions of our chief shepherd. I want us to see the convictions of our chief shepherd. Now, John, an incredible literary writer, he's presenting us two scenes that are happening simultaneously. That's why there's a break in between the two de the denials. On one side, we have Peter on the first stage, who's warming himself, and on the other stage that's happening simultaneously, Jesus is not being warmed, he's being whipped. I've often wondered about this scene in my own life. Jesus is standing by his convictions to protect the disciples, while Peter is compromising his faith for his own convenience. But a true shepherd, a true shepherd stands by his, his convictions, 
He never lets a wolf get to the sheep because it's too hard or, or, or it's too late or it's too difficult. Now here in the middle of the night, Jesus is the chief shepherd standing in the midst of his convictions. Look at verse 20. Jesus answered them. I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask, ask those who have heard me what I've said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if, underline this, what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. See, at this point, standing in my convictions, (laughs) it'd be a little bit difficult. Alone, falsely accused, and now he's being assaulted. And Annas is trying to make the case that Jesus is planning a secret insurrection and that his, disciple, his disciples are actually zealots trying to overthrow the high priest like so many had done before. And so Annas, he's going to find out, tell us about the secret operation that you've gone and what's happening with your disciples and with you. But Jesus, he's not being warmed, he's being whipped. He's protecting the disciples and he says, ask everybody. I've not been a person that's hidden behind a bush. No, I've proclaimed it boldly. And Jesus, he boldly speaks the truth despite the intimidating bully tactics and he chooses to turn the other cheek because he stands by his conviction to speak the truth to turn the other cheek and he stands by the conviction to live the truth and here he turns the other cheek to the soldier. If it were me, Dude, you're going down with lightning like something is going to bad. And you don't hit me. I mean, are you kidding me? Not Jesus. He stands by his conviction. Verse 25. Going back now to the same scene, Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. So they said to him, you also are one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, so he had a little vengeance probably on him. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. I have found that compromise always denies the power of the word in our life. Compromise is like a nail in a tire which gradually releases all the air until the tire is flat. It's the goal of compromise. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter, like I said earlier, he wanted to prove Jesus wrong, but you can't prove the word of God wrong, no matter how hard you try. Listen, the word of God says bad company corrupts good morals. So if you want to hang out with people of corrupt morals, the word of God is going to come true. It's going to corrupt your good morals. You can't hang out with a crowd, making them your personal, close friends, thinking that their bad morals are not going to affect because the word of God says bad company corrupts good morals, and the word of God will always be true. And though Peter would deny the word of the Lord, Jesus would not deny himself. 
And if you remember back in Luke's gospel, he looked at Peter and he said this, Peter, dude, Satan has asked to sift you, but I'm praying for you. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. Listen again. Jesus would stand by his conviction to minister to those in need. The failure of Peter would not disappoint Jesus. In fact, so much so, Luke tells us that when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him. This was not a look of like, I can't believe. This wasn't a look of, oh, disappointment. This was a look of love that drove Peter to weep and to repent. This failure would provide the opportunity for Jesus to show his love to Peter. It would provide an opportunity to minister to Peter because that's what a chief shepherd does. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning because the trial happened at night. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we wouldn't have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, underline this, to show by what kind of death He was going to die. I want you to write it down. Jesus, our chief shepherd, he stood by the conviction to lay down his life. There was no convenience. There was conviction about this. He was going to die on a Roman cross. Now, religiously, according to the Jews, the way they executed people like they did Stephen, they threw stones at you. But civilly, according to the Roman government, the way they executed people was by crucifixion on a cross. And Jesus, his conviction was not necessarily going to the cross. No, his conviction was to fulfill scripture in his life. Listen carefully. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 20, the Bible says not one of his bones would be broken. He couldn't be stoned. He had to be crucified. He himself said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And in Deuteronomy describes that lifting up, that a man who was cursed had to die on a tree so that everybody could see the judgment of God on their life. And he would not compromise his integrity to the word because of his situation. He didn't care that it was a Roman cross. He was convicted and held the conviction, I'm going to live up to scripture. So much so that he said in John chapter 10 verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for the sheep. That was his conviction. Take a look with me if you would at verse 33. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? In other words, I want to know, are you asking me the question or are you just asking me because other people told you? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Pilate, you ain't got nothing to worry about. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to, to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king? I love Jesus' answer. You say that I'm a king. Aha, we're getting somewhere. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Listen to our chief shepherd. Jesus stood by the conviction despite his situation to seek and to save the lost. He is the chief shepherd that leaves the 99. He had left all of the Jews in the praetorium and now he's alone with Pilate to find the one. He's seizing the moment with Pilate to give him the truth. He says, I was born. I'm a man. And then he said, I came into this world. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm the God man to bear witness to the truth. I'm going to live it. I'm going to preach it. And I'm going to die for it. He boldly stood there with Pilate to give him the gospel. And here's why. After he said Excuse me, verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, in other words, not Jesus, but give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Finally, Jesus stood by the conviction and he gave Pilate the gospel because Jesus stood by the conviction of God's grace. Pilate, he thought for sure he'd come up with a great plan to free Jesus. Let me find the most notorious evil person in the prison and see if they'll take Barabbas instead of this great guy, Jesus. He was trying to set Jesus free. He knew that they were jealous. He knew it was a personal problem, that Jesus had done nothing wrong. He was declared innocent by Herod. He was declared innocent by Pilate. He was declared innocent, could not find any accusation from the Sanhedrin. He was the Lamb of God without blemish. Pilate knew this in his own conviction, and he offered Barabbas, an insurrectionist, a robber. Now, this word in the Greek, it means someone who uses weapons with force to accomplish a task or a goal. This was not a direction of Pilate. This was an act of God. And God was revealing that Jesus would die even for the worst of sinners. This was an illustration of the great grace of God. Barabbas set free, Jesus would die. Oh, the great grace and favor of God. One theologian said it like this, men will do his worst and God will respond with his very best. Paul said it best in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. He died for me. No wonder Paul would say, I'm the chief sinner. Now, with this kind of character and courage and conviction, no wonder Peter would change the name from high priest to chief shepherd. And having set the example, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, I know I didn't mention to you earlier, but I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter is exhorting the pastors. 
He's exhorting the elders of the church. And he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Mm -hmm.